Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hello there. Welcome back. Okay, here's where I'll start. I want to start with a local issue. And even though it's a local issue, it's not even a local issue. It's, uh, it's a problem that's occurring everywhere where we live, anywhere in the United States, certainly, whether people know it or not. Um, let me begin here. First of all, I've brought up numerous times the city council where I live, how they have direct ties to Bill Ayers, who, as we know, is a domestic terrorist, tied to Obama and a number of other things. These individuals are as far left as you can possibly imagine and incredibly dirty. Again, university town, but they vote on things that they don't even have to vote on. I mean, they vote on things that are their opinions about national issues, and they vote on resolutions. Well, we disagree with this. Not that it matters, and not like they can do anything about it in the jurisdiction that they oversee, so they think. They just do it just to basically tell everybody where they sit politically. With that said, there's a move that they've made here recently, which they've tried before, and I brought it, I brought it up on the show uh, back when they tried it, which I believe was in 2021, the, la- the latter half of 2021 and certainly the late summer of 2021. Back then, they attempted to put a giant trail, a, uh, an asphalt trail, I assume, right through numerous neighborhoods, through farmland, something that would basically encircle the entire town and give people the opportunity to either ride bikes or walk their dogs or whatever, all the way around town, as if some numbskull would actually want to do that. The problem with that, as you might expect, is is it was going to increase crime dramatically. There would be homeless camps that would pop up along this trail Not to mention, as I said earlier, this trail would go right through the front yards of numerous people, including my parents' own home, and everybody in their neighborhood. It would cut right through their front yards, even though there's a sidewalk there and whatever else. But neighborhoods, again, stereotypically stand alone because that's why they are there. They're there to stand alone. They're not there to be connected to other neighborhoods. So with all of that said, they've tried this yet again. And again, just to paint the picture as to, you know, how amped up uh, we certainly get about things like this. Uh, This is something that everybody should get amped up about because, again, this isn't just happening here. So I'm going to try to make a really long story short here, but and I'm going to miss parts. So my apologies for those who clearly know way more than I do. But there is a section of property that is next to a trailer park. That is behind my parents' house, which is behind train tracks. And this park has always existed and is owned, or was owned, I should say, by an individual who lives down the street from them, whose father built numerous homes in their neighborhood. And the family's been here for a very long time. The builder of of these homes, of course, um, in my parents' neighborhood is, is now passed, but their son is is alive and he previously owned the property and then ended up selling the property to the city with the promise, the legal, the actual legal promise that they would never turn it into commercial land or turn it into a into business property, that it would always remain a green space. Now, 
you can probably imagine where this story is going, given current events. The city council sent out a letter just last, or this past week, toward the beginning of the week, stating that they were going to vote on turning the land into commercial property. Now, why would they do that? Which, of course, is right next to a trailer park, which actually has individuals in it who are very hardworking, God-loving Americans. Many of them are, at least some of them are veterans. And they, of course, don't want their park to disappear. They want the open space to continue to exist. But city council wants to turn it into a commercial lot and a residential lot. Now, what would a left-wing city council want to do with a giant piece of property in this day and age that's vacant and doesn't have any buildings on it whatsoever? Well, if you guessed that they probably want to build a multi-story or multi-housing unit, which I think they openly say this, that they want affordable housing to be there. But we know that any affordable housing that gets built is going to be for illegal aliens. There's no doubt about it. This is the same city council in the same town that has purchased property at over half a million dollars, 620000 to then build a multi-unit facility on the other side of town that is going to house illegal aliens. I'm not just talking about homeless people where we live, and there are many, but actually house illegal aliens, people who do not belong in our country. So I'm trying to explain this basically just to describe the depth with which a city council in a small town will go to to subvert the rights and legal agreements of individuals. And then, of course, what they've done here is they haven't told the people who live the closest to the park what's actually going to happen and what they're proposing. So they're purposely censoring and keeping people rather in the dark as to what's really going on. So again, longer story short, the right people have been met with. My dad has even gotten involved, and he's 100% involved in this along with other people. In the first week of, uh, of August, I think it's August 8th, there's going to be a city council meeting. I'm going to bring you some audio from that meeting because there's going to be a bunch of people that show up, and they are pissed. And they're going to show up because, again, the city council has no legal standing to turn it into a commercial lot to build anything on it. The legal agreement, and it's the law, was that it remain an open park and an open green space. But this right here, again, should prove to people that city councils don't care about the law. They don't care about legal agreements in writing. They don't care about any of this. They don't even care about the safety of children in the local area who are going to be subjected to being around the kinds of people that they want to bring here. So understand this. We are being invaded. There's no doubt about that. That invasion won't stop. And I don't care how red or blue your town is or red or blue your, uh, your city council is. This is happening, and it won't stop. And they have no problem lying to the citizens that live in your town or city to simply get done what they want to get done. They are the worst of the worst.
and they're about to be reminded of how wrong they are. They couldn't get their trail, which they wanted. So now they're buying up property and trying to buy up as much property as possible and constantly looking at these maps and surveilling these maps and saying, well, who owns this land? Maybe we can buy it out from underneath them and uh, you know, we'll tell them that, well, we're just interested in having it and maybe you don't need it anymore. Not telling the person, of course, that uh, they fully intend on building some kind of a housing unit where nine times out of 10 or 10 times out of 10, they call it affordable housing or low-income housing. That's code word and code language for we want illegals to be here and we want illegals to live on that property. Every time it means that. And this right here in our local town is about to get shut down yet again. So I'm mentioning this story to you because when the time comes, I'm going to bring you some audio from that city council meeting. It's going to be a doozy. I'm certain of it. Like I said, you're even going to hear my dad railing on these people. I guarantee it. So anyway, this is happening all over the place. It's happening everywhere. And again, we're being invaded. And we can't let these city councils overtake these kinds of properties. If you're a property owner, you need to sit on it and you need to get a trust and make sure that that property stays in your family name and that it's in the trust that the property never get turned over to a city council or it never gets turned over again to a commercial business or something like that because even they can turn those commercial businesses into housing units for illegal aliens. This is happening all over the United States. I just saw a story uh, just just yesterday, I think, where outside of a mental hospital, they were using the parking lot itself outside of a mental hospital to house illegal aliens and the homeless. You've heard me say again, and this is happening too, they're using vacant school buildings to do the exact same thing. I mean, this is the future. And unfortunately, we know that as these schools close, someone's going to have to use that property and buy up that property. So if the city can buy it or a town can buy it, what, it, what is a left-wing city or a left-wing town? And maybe they're not even left-wing. What do you think they're going to do with that vacant building? They're going to use it again as constant housing for illegal aliens. And this is a serious safety problem for everyone in every town and every city and every small little neighborhood that exists. What's interesting about this park, which is next to the trailer, the, the trailer park, is that again, it's almost like old time America. Children playing in the street, riding their bikes. You can hear them playing baseball over there. It really is, from an auditory standpoint and a visual standpoint, I, I haven't been there, so I haven't seen it myself, but I hear it all the time. You can hear children playing. Now, is there the occasional criminal child or delinquent, uh, you know, who, who breaks the law over there? Probably. I mean, that's, you know, that that's sometimes comes with the territory, but either way, the, the residents there know that their children play in the, in the street. And if all of a sudden now you have illegals or low-income individuals who aren't making any money of any kind, how is that going to be safe for children? It isn't. Because child safety is not the concern of most people in politics. It just isn't. If it were, everybody would just know this to be common sense, but they, but they don't. So again, 
I'll bring you that audio when the time comes. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. Uh, yeah, it's th- that meeting is going to be a doozy, without a doubt. Okay, moving on. There is this, just very quickly. This was from the Gateway Pundit. World Aquatics announces an open category for transgender swimmers. Of course, this is the whole, whatever his real name is, Mike Thomas or Leah Thomas or whatever the hell, the pretend, you know, the pretend woman. Um, this is basically exactly what I was speaking about a long time ago, where I said, wouldn't it be funny if there were just basically tranny sports and the only thing that existed were a bunch of people pretending to be girls and then they all engaged in the exact same sport? I mean, this is actually happening. (laughs) I can't, I can't actually believe that it's happening, but hey, um, I've believed stranger things and this right here is, is one of them. So. It'll be interesting to see how long this lasts, but they're starting to see that certain people, of course, are, uh, well, people, they're deranged, pretending to be a different gender than they are, a different sex than they are, that they somehow need their own sport league. This is, this is going to get funny. Can you imagine ESPN covering something like this in the future? Over to the tranny league now, as we want to watch, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, Pat, uh, swim against Pat. And uh, Rochelle swim against Rochelle. They used to be called Richard, but now they're Rochelle. Anyway, into the water they go. It's just just too good. It's too good. I can't wait for ESPN to start normalizing this insanity. Of course, they already have, and I have some ESPN-related news that's jab-related a little bit later as well. Thank you to Cicely for sending me uh, this audio clip. It's perfect, but I'll play that later. Um, yeah, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. It's, I'm sure it'll come to ESPN soon enough, and who knows, maybe it'll be ESPN4. The Tranny League. Time will tell. Anywho, into education-related things. Wanted to bring this to your attention, too. Uh, Jesse James threw this my way from lourockwell.com. This is written by Ron Paul and the Ron Paul Institute. It is titled, Your Kids School Went Woke? Question mark. Consider Homeschool. It's a very short, very straightforward article. Uh, let me read this for you very quickly. Again, the Ron Paul curriculum is ronpaulcurriculum.com if you're interested in checking that out. Me personally, I've never done a deep dive on the Ron Paul curriculum. I don't know if it's accredited or not. I've had some people tell me it is. Some people say it's not. Uh, either way, it's certainly an option. And if it's not the main program, then it can certainly be a supplemental one as well. But he said the following, quote, woke, quote unquote, which we know is Satanism, culture has become so prominent in the American education system that it would not be surprising to learn that schools were replacing the once popular rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, with sticks and stones may break my bones, but opinions I disagree with can make me feel unsafe, so they must be silenced. It says, take the case of 12-year-old Liam Morrison a student at Nichols Middle School in Middleborough, Massachusetts. This March, Liam was told to change his shirt or be sent home. You're probably familiar with his story. So school staff are reported to have said that his shirt targeted a protected class. Liam says that he, told, that he was told his shirt was making some students feel unsafe. Does Liam's shirt advocate violence? No. Liam's shirt simply stated that there were only two genders. A free society cannot exist where a substantial portion of its population demands and receives protection 
from exposure to opposing ideas. If the history of authoritarianism teaches us anything, it is that those in positions of power are often willing to provide a frightened people with security, quote-unquote, as long as the people are willing to sacrifice their and their fellow citizens' liberty. Well, haven't we seen that in the last three years? He continued, he said, quote, fighting the woke agenda, which is Satanism, so we got to stop saying woke, everybody, call it Satanism. Agenda is therefore not, as some libertarians claim, a culture war distraction from the pursuit of liberty. Instead, fighting the woke agenda is, cru- is crucial to restoring a free society. Of course, this means working to roll back government power by, for example, shutting down the unconstitutional Department of Education and getting Congress to pass legislation forbidding government officials from telling social media companies to censor certain American citizens. We must also resist joining those misguided conservatives who are calling on the right to seek to use government power to impose a right-wing version of wokeness on the American people. I'm going to interrupt Dr. Paul here for just a second. I would take it a step further, and you know where I'm going with this, which is, yes, I agree with him. Get rid of the Department of Education, no doubt about it, but do not reform anything. If you walk away from these schools, you make them bankrupt. That's, that's what has to happen here. You can't change things from the inside with just a school board meeting. It, it doesn't work that way. There's always going to be someone else there to take over after a particular good person, so to speak, is on a, is on a school board. But what environment doesn't have school boards? I think we know. It's clearly the homeschooling environment. And as far as government intervention is concerned, the only thing that needs to be passed at the state level is to ensure and make it law across the nation that no one can come after homeschoolers, that no one can come after homeschooling curriculums or families. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the definition of freedom. And it used to exist in this country. Of course, it does not exist. I'll bring up the Heritage Foundation a little bit later. As you've heard me say with their Project 2025, um, they are on the wrong side of history on this. And I would say that clearly Dr. Ron Paul here is, uh, is and has been on the right side of this for a very long time. It continues here. It says, the backlash against wokeness in schools is leading more parents to either become involved in their local school boards or to look for alternatives such as homeschooling. Parents who are interested in a homeschooling program that provides children with a well-rounded education that will help their child awake but not become woke should consider my homeschool curriculum. The Ron Paul curriculum provides students with a well-rounded education that includes rigorous programs in history, mathematics, and the physical and natural sciences. The curriculum also provides instruction in personal finance. Students can develop superior written and oral communication via intensive writing and public speaking courses. Other feature, another feature of my curriculum is that it provides students the opportunity to create and run their own internet business. The government and history sections of the curriculum emphasize Austrian economics libertarian political theory, and the history of liberty. However, unlike government schools, my curriculum never puts ideological indoctrination ahead of education. Interactive forums allow students to engage with and learn from each other. The forums ensure that students are actively engaged 
in their education as well as give them the opportunity to interact with their peers outside of a formal setting. I encourage all parents looking at alternatives to government schools, alternatives that provide children with a well-rounded education that will allow them to learn about the history and ideas of liberty instead of pushing on them wokeness, quote-unquote, and the lies of the cultural Marxists. To go to ronpaul.com for more information about my homeschooling program, unquote. Again, it isn't wokeness and it isn't cultural Marxism. It's satanic Jewry. That's the problem. So we can keep sugarcoating all these words all we want, but it is Satanism. That is, that is the ultimate problem here. And that's not going to go away because do you think Satan quits? Do you think he's going to give up without a fight? Nope, he won't. He'll continue to do what he's doing, and the individuals who follow him will continue to do what they are doing because that's their orders. They get their orders from the very top, and their top is Satan. Now, speaking of a satanic agenda, I want to revisit a subject here that Jesse James just sent my way. And this is interesting, and it has specifically to do with the Oxford High School. This, of course, was the location of the real, not fake, it was real, the real shooting uh, at the hands of Ethan Crumbly. Now, as we know, because I've, again, we went over that a long time ago, and uh, and I'm not entirely sure when the trial for the parents is set to start. Again, it could be August, it could be September, October, maybe even later than that now. It just keeps being pushed back. And keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, Ethan Crumbly's parents are still in jail and have been since 2021. They're still in jail. They didn't pull a single trigger, and they're still in jail. Which, as you've heard me say, they're politically trying to send a message to every single parent that if your child uses a gun, certainly in a school, then you're going to find yourself in jail as a parent, even though you yourself didn't pull the trigger. Now, they're doing this with two white parents. You don't actually think they're going to do this with black parents, do you? No, 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 no. Because they could have done that in the state of Michigan every single day. But they're not doing that. They're sending a clear message. They don't want white parents to gift a gun to their children because if the child uses it in a crime or a murder, they want to be able to jail the parents. Again, keep that double standard in mind because it is a very real thing. But regarding Oxford High School and that school district, Jesse James and Sandy, of course, have been on this show before, and we've run through all the different things and the money exchanges and all of that in in, in previous episodes, and you can go back and listen to those. But this right here is a Facebook post from the Oxford Citizens for Parental Rights by a Kit Campbell. Um, And they lay out again some of the things that are going to be happening here within this high school. And I just wanted to refresh, uh, essentially refresh people's minds on this. And then Jesse James provides his own comment here at the end on the same Facebook page, which is great. So this Kit Campbell for the Oxford Citizens for Parental Rights said the following. They said, quote, How does everyone feel about the new security system being installed in all campuses in the district? Didn't know about the new system? Question mark. Join the club. Many learned about this new AI utilizing system being installed next week at tonight's school board meeting. On the plus side, it will allow them to have security at all doors going into and out of the buildings, 
as well as rooms within the buildings. There will be cameras everywhere with the exception of the bathrooms, and the bathrooms will have sensors that will detect vaping and smoking, but no cameras. I have some concerns about AI technology. The intelligence part of it means that it will be learning, hopefully. It does not mean making decisions about things that may or may not be accurate. I'm concerned that only select people will have access to this on campus, and it sounds like it will not necessarily just be the security people, but actually teachers and administrators. I wonder how well they're going to get trained on it three weeks is not a long time to learn a whole new security system. Guess it's a good thing they're going to utilize this new security system for a year on a grant without it costing the school district anything. Now again, where did that money come from? The money that was allocated for the parents of the slain to receive was all put in this giant pool and then that money was distributed among them equally along with other facets of this entire program at least that's my recollection i'm not saying that they didn't receive specific donations for security measures so they say but this right here ladies and gentlemen is more of the police state they're trying to normalize this not just within any school that has had an actual shooter not these fake shooters like sandy hook uvalde in nashville but the real ones. And then, of course, what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to use this as a quote-unquote preventative measure for all other schools as if to say, well, this will keep you from having a shooter. You won't have any violence in your school because everyone will know that you're under constant surveillance. Ladies and gentlemen, prisons are constantly surveilled. Is there violence in prison? Yes, there, there certainly is. Here were two of the top comments underneath that post, and the second one was Jesse James's. It, uh, the first one is from a Stacy Ball Bordeaux, if I'm saying that right. They said, quote, I guess it sounded positive to me, but every light has a shadow, so maybe I wasn't thinking enough, is what they meant to type. And then Jesse chimed in and said, some of us knew about months ago and did podcasts about it. You must make plans to homeschool. You can't beat these school board lunatics, unquote. He's 100% right. If you participate in this system and, the, and these school districts, you're going along with their policies. Again, it's simple guilt by association. You're guilty of allowing this kind of thing because you continue to associate. They, they haven't been held accountable for the COVID lies. They haven't been held accountable for the mask-wearing abuses. They haven't been held accountable for, uh, for the shot-taking coercion and the workplace bullying and the conformity and the suspensions of probably suspending students who didn't want to play those ridiculous games that aren't rooted in truth whatsoever. This is the problem. It's all a diversion. They're lying to everybody and then just stealing their freedom one speck at a time. One, one chop at a time away. But it, that, that's not happening with the homeschooling family. The homeschooling family is not buying into it. And they shouldn't. And they don't have to. Because they're free. They're free from government. I love it. But this right here is nuts. In fact, I think I brought this up earlier, but school districts in Maryland are, are basically employing the exact same strategies 
that they are in the Oxford School District in Michigan. And there haven't even been school shootings there. Even Maryland schools are using this clear backpack strategy. That if all students have a clear backpack, well, then everybody can see into the backpack. And then magically, uh, if, if a kid is carrying a gun in their clear backpack, well, their peer will see it, and then they will tattle on them and tell them that, uh, th- that there's a gun in the clear backpack and uh, we need to arrest this person immediately. Again, who would carry a gun in a clear backpack? It also, of course, brings into question the business of these security cameras. If these security cameras can detect, based on some algorithm, some computer-based code and algorithm, that a child is carrying something in their pocket that may be deemed to be dangerous based on what the camera is telling people, and then they bring the kid in. I mean, I've been over this before, but they bring the kid in, and then they search the kid, and there's nothing there. Does the child have any, uh, any recourse? Is there any recourse there against the school district or the officials who were checking the cameras where the computer told the human being that something could be afoot? How often are they going to be bringing in students and falsely accusing them of possessing something that they, in fact, do not possess? This is all designed to destroy the mind. It's all designed to get these young people to believe in a police state, that it is for their safety. Don't worry, we're from the government, we're here to help you. That's the message, and it's getting people killed. It's wearing away at their mental and emotional frame of mind, because that's what it's designed to do. What a nightmare. I mean, what a nightmarish school district. They've gone off the absolute deep end. How about Uvalde? Are they doing that? How about Nashville? How about that Nashville school? Are they doing these kinds of things too? Are we hearing about this in the news regarding them? No, we aren't. Why is that? Why are we not hearing these kinds of surveillance stories from those schools that actually had fake shootings that were bigger, bigger fake shootings where people did not die? And then in Michigan, They're going full bore, pedal to the floor, fifth gear all the way with all these security measures, clear backpacks, bullet sniffing dogs. Remember that one? That's a thing. That's going to be a thing there. It's completely nuts. Only a nuts parent would send their child to that environment at this point. It is that simple. If their child can read and their child can write, give the Ron Paul curriculum a try. Abeka.com, you've heard me mention it a million times. They're everywhere. These, these programs are everywhere. The American school system is obsolete. It's completely obsolete. Let me play this now. This is some interesting audio that came from a Senate hearing just the other day that unfortunately had everything to do with climate change and all this nonsense. The reason I'm bringing it up now here in the old education portion of the show is that This absolute nitwit of a professor who's clearly way younger than me, you you talk about, I mean, you almost have to see this person and see their mannerisms and the way that they're dressed. You've heard me say this before. Again, no offense to the listening audience if you wear a bow tie. Me personally, I don't trust people who wear bow ties. It's a huge red flag for me. There's a pretentious nature about a person who wears a bow tie when they're not wearing a tuxedo. So again, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, if you're if you're on the streets and you see a bow tie, you know, uh, head on a swivel, hand on your gun, and be careful, because these people are, are uh, well, they're usually leftists and they usually don't have many brains. With that said, that's what this Tulane uh, Tulane University uh, professor is is dressed as, and he's got the big Clark Kent glasses, and he's constantly sticking his nose up in the air as he talks to Senator Kennedy. And Kennedy catches him, of course, on all his climate change hypocrisy and carbon footprint nonsense. And again, you can just hear the the tone of this kid's voice. He is, he's a loser. I cannot imagine that any normal student in his classroom would take anything that this guy says as being serious. And, uh, and Kennedy humiliates him, which is kind of nice. So anyway, this is about five and a half minutes long. Again, you got to see this for yourself, but uh, it's it's interesting to listen to anyway. So here it is in three, two, one. Uh, Professor Keenan, you teach at Tulane? Yes, sir, I do. I have that privilege. And uh, you have your own website, keenanclimate.com. Yes, right? sir, I do. And you describe yourself on your website as a globally recognized thought leader. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And um, you give paid speeches? Do you? On occasion, I do. You have your own agent, I believe, according to your website, Lee Bureau? This is correct. And how much do you charge per speech? It varies depending on the audience, the amount of preparation work that goes, and the amount of follow-through. Uh, the, the last page speech you gave, how much did you receive? Uh, I'm happy to follow up on You don't remember? I, I do not. Do you, keep, do you give that money to Tulane? I do not. You keep it? Yes, this is outside of my capacity as a professor. Right, right. As is standard now, course. You, you recently sent a letter. You recently joined a lot of other academics. You signed a letter demanding that elite institutions and universities stop accepting money from fossil fuel companies. Is that correct? Th this is correct. You consider Tulane an elite university? I would like to think that we have a high standard of excellence in our education and our research. Okay. Well, um, the Murphy family of Murphy Oil and the Deming family of Murphy Oil have recently given Tulane $25 million. Think, uh, have you called on Tulane to give that money back? Well, it's uh, not, they didn't give that money to my unit or the department or school that I have work Have you called in. on Tulane to give that money back, or you think that's okay for them to keep it? It's their prerogative, not mine. Okay. Um, you could, you, but, but you think, but yet you just signed a letter saying that all elite universities should refuse fossil fuel money. Is that, did you put a footnote in there and say, except my own? Well, what I'd like to say, Senator, is that I believe it raises a conflict of interest for those that research climate change that are supported by the fossil fuel yeah, industry. Yeah, but then why don't you ask Tulane to give the $25 million? Well, I think in the context, if that money were to be used to support climate research, information, disinformation, or whatever it may be, then that may be an appropriate conflict of interest. But I think in the context... You, you don't see the hypocrisy here? It is a hypocrisy in those that may read and interpret it as such. Maybe, I maybe it's like Washington, if there weren't double standards, there wouldn't be standards at all. Let me ask you this. You, you uh, 
He also participated in another article here uh, criticizing Houston for building new buildings and McMansions. And you said, uh, I'm going to read your quote. I don't want to misquote you, Professor. That means we have to change our consumer preferences. You could have a super efficient, energy efficient mega mansion in Houston, the suburbs, but it's still a mansion. You're still over consuming space. Did you say that? Yes, sir. That's based on work as a member of the uh, IPCC. Our research suggested that reducing our footprint in terms of total spatial footprint would have significant impacts on the decarbonization of the built environment. And, we and so you're saying you're saying that people should should live in smaller houses because larger houses contribute to CO2 emissions. A hundred percent, Senator. Okay. Well, recently Tulane finished the Commons. It was seventy-seven thousand square feet, fifty-five million dollars. Recently, Tulane finished the Gold Ring Walden Bird Business Complex, thirty-five million dollars to complete, ninety-two thousand. Square feet. Oh, that's a McMansion. Uh, Mustafer Hall, 23,000 square feet. Paul Hall, 36,000 square feet. Richardson Hall, 50,000 square feet. Housing redevelopment phase one, 230,000 square feet at Tulane. Have you called upon Tulane to stop these buildings? Sir, the habitable space within those units are roughly the size of the conference room back there and are indeed quite But small. they contribute to... Does, Everything uh, that we does do, the, the commons contribute more to climate change than a McMansion in Houston. You were pretty quick to criticize the people of Houston for wanting to build, uh, you thought, McMansions. But you don't criticize your own university. I don't find that to be equivocal uh, comparison between uh, space meant for students who uh, must reside at a university. You don't see the hypocrisy in that? It is your finding and interpretation, sir. But you don't see the irony of the hypocrisy. I'm going to go ahead and say no. Okay. I kind of gathered that would be your answer. Again, at face value, you can't trust you can't trust this kid. And I'm calling him a kid because I mean he's uh, he's green behind the ears still. He's still got peach fuzz, you know, on his face. He he's remarkably pretentious. He's consistently, you know, pushing his glasses up and and lifting his nose in the air. Like I said, the bow ties the dead giveaway. And then, of course, he starts off by saying, "Yes, it is my privilege." The only thing he didn't say is, "Yes, it's my privilege as a white man," or whatever. But either way, he's using all of the words and all of the terminology that these brainwashed goons typically use. It's beyond disgusting. And then, of course, at the end, you know, one of the things that the left doesn't understand is irony. And they don't understand hypocrisy. They don't get it. It's like memeing. They just can't meme because that's what you need to understand in order to make a meme and to know the facts. They don't want to back down from their brainwashed positions because if they do, their entire illusion goes up in smoke. Universities are filled with pompous windbags just like that guy. It's disgusting. And it didn't get better. It's not going to get better. Okay, there's this too. I wanted to revisit this before I get into jab stuff. This is the last uh, little education thing, so to speak, that I have here. But I mentioned Project 2025 from the Heritage Foundation previously. Within their Department of Education document, which is 
three, four hundred some odd pages long, written by a Lindsay M. Burke. I decided to do a little word search in the document to see how often a set of words would pop up. And you can do this with any of these documents when you open up a PDF. You can click on the right-hand side or wherever the little search bar is, and you can search for terminology. If the terms don't show up, then that should show you what these individuals are ignoring. So within that Department of Education document, which I brought up previously in a previous episode, I searched the word COVID, or the acronym COVID. It only popped up once, and it had to do with the money that was distributed to schools and universities. It was just in that context, but again, it only popped up once. That's a big problem. If you're writing a Department of Education document about what you want to see within the Department of Education and the acronym COVID only pops up once, again, within this document that is supposed to outline what they would like to see as the Heritage Foundation in the uh, 2025 year of, of any alleged conservative uh, administration. That's, that's a problem, isn't it? I mean, it seems like the, the acronym COVID would be all throughout that document, but it, it only pops up once and again in the context of money. Then I searched the term vaccine. Guess how many times that popped up? Zero. I searched the term mask. Mask wearing, even. Guess how many times that popped up? Zero. And then I looked up the word abuse. And that popped up six times. Six times the word abuse popped up, but it was only in the context of student loans. That was it. Student loans. Not once was the term vaccine or mask used, and the terms COVID and abuse were not even used together in the context of shot taking and mask wearing. This is why the Heritage Foundation and this Project 2025 Department of Education document, written by Lindsay M. Burke, these people are not our friends. They're ignoring the elephant in the room. And this is what will lead to the continued collapse of American education. Again, you've heard me say I'm not a business guy, but I do know this. You can't have a business survive if you're killing off your customers, killing off your employees, and you're never acknowledging it as some sort of a reform measure that needs to be made in the future. It's beyond embarrassing. And again, this Project 2025 group is seeking to actively recruit people right now, so they say, for an alleged 2025 conservative-minded administration in the future. I, I say that sort of, you know, sarcastically because Trump's going to win and come back or we're going to have martial law. It's going to be one of the two. Hell, it could be both. But either way, the Heritage Foundation has no business intervening with any of this because at face value, they're not even covering what needs to be covered. They're not acknowledging the problem. They're not spanking the child after the child has done the worst thing imaginable. And then they're just expecting what? 
that their that their reform measures are going to just magically fix everything and anything without people knowing or without people recognizing what the real problem is it's disgusting and that leads me to jab stuff i'm going to hit you with this first this is an audio clip sicily sent me from espn you've probably heard lebron james's son fell flat as a result of a heart attack well he's jabbed there's there's no denying that again the walls are closing in and this depopulation agenda is hitting people right in the face and they can't even see it endless people can't even see this they're just chalking it up to well he's young and maybe there's an underlying condition and maybe he was exerting himself you know it's it's summer and he's hot and blah 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 they were inside during a USC basketball practice or whatever it was, a camp, something along those lines. It's amazing. So what do you think ESPN's going to say about it? Now, as it turns out, I've checked this audio and for some reason it's not playing anymore. I'm hitting play. Everything is unmuted. The, the, the breaking news uh, Sports Center report as it happened isn't even playing anymore. And I wanted to play it because they had on two doctors from uh, the University of Alabama, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, anyway, they had a, a Dr. Camden Hebson, uh, and he's sitting next to a female. And again, they're talking about this and whatever else. But I did find this other clip, which is. Equally as uh, as disturbing, it's four, it's five minutes and forty four seconds long. It's Sage Steele and another guy. This is when they're on Sports Center, I guess. But the, they talk to Stephen A. Smith, you know, because we got to get his take because he because he matters. But anyway, they end up talking with the Good Morning America nurse, who again is an absolute abomination. This is Dr. Jennifer Ashton. She's the ABC News chief medical correspondent. This is the woman who on those Good Morning America shows over the last three years has been pushing every mask and jab thing in lockstep with the enemy just from day one, and she's not letting up. So let's we'll listen to what she says, too, and what she doesn't say. But this is, again, five minutes and 44 seconds long. These people disgust me, but give this a listen. There is no news bigger than the news about LeBron James, his oldest son, the news that came out just over an hour ago, and it is terribly disturbing news out of Los Angeles. Ronnie James, it is our breaking news. The 18-year-old son of LeBron James collapsed after suffering cardiac arrest during USC's practice. It happened yesterday. The family has released a statement in part saying that Ronnie is in stable condition and out of the intensive care unit. Here's the rest of what the family had to say in the statement as we take a look. Yesterday while, yesterday, while practicing, Bronnie James suffered a cardiac arrest. Medical staff was able to treat Bronnie and take him to the hospital. He is now in stable condition and no longer in ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update media when there is more information. LeBron and Savannah wish to publicly send their deepest thanks and appreciation to the USC medical and athletic staff for their incredible work and dedication to the safety of their athletes, end quote. Even A. Smith checked in on the James family and shared these thoughts when the news broke earlier on First Take. I was scared to death when I heard the news, checked with some people. They said he's okay. Obviously, before I saw the family statement, they were saying he's okay and he's doing better. When you hear something like this, 
you just thank the good Lord that the medical staff was there in attendance, that he wasn't practicing by himself with nobody around, uh, that there were people there to see and what transpired and ultimately come to the rescue. And we don't know how his cardiac arrest. So obviously it's serious, but we don't know the intricate details. I'm just thankful. Thank the good Lord that he's doing okay. And that whatever caused this is something they will identify and alleviate as soon as possible. So he can restore his life back to normal. It's certainly some of the news coming out about this seems to be good as we welcome in ABC News Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Jennifer Ashton. And Dr. Ashton, can you explain to the viewer what cardiac arrest is and what might have happened to Bronnie during practice? Well, first of all, this cardiac arrest, sudden cardiac arrest is very different than a heart attack. Um, of course, a heart attack can cause sudden cardiac arrest. But remember, there's electrical system in the heart. There's mechanical pumping system of the heart. They both can go wrong. The bottom line is sudden cardiac arrest means there is no heartbeat. When there is no heartbeat, there is no oxygenation to the brain and the, and the rest of the body. Um, we know this is very, very rare when it comes to competitive athletes. It happens about 100 to 150 times a year in this country. Um, and of course, it's human nature to say, why? What could have caused this? Um, you know, the vast majority of cases are caused by a congenital uh, and previously undetected or undiagnosed congenital heart defect known as HCM or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But certainly you can have this happen in a structurally normal heart. We're all familiar with what happened with Damar Hamlin. That is a, a very rare cause, commodio cortis, or there can be an irregular heartbeat in the, electric, in the electrical system, an arrhythmia. Bottom line is immediate intervention with CPR and AED use absolutely saves lives. We have a saying in medicine, uh, downtime, every minute is brain function and heart function. And so obviously, um, it, it, the news couldn't be better that uh, Bronnie is out of an ICU setting, but um, this is definitely a major medical and sports headline today. Yeah, a couple of follow-ups, if I may. I want to start with the thing you said about it, incredibly rare for, for athletes. I want to take that one step further. How rare is it for someone of Bronnie's age at 18 years old? Well, we see it, um, 100 to 150 cases in this country a year, um, and it, it always makes headlines for good reason. I mean, this is an elite athlete, someone who's in very good shape, who's used to physically pushing themselves, um, and it can happen just like it did with Damar Hamlin. Um, and I think that we need to remember there's another saying in medicine, uh, an increased risk of a rare event is still a rare event. So while we see it with competitive and elite athletes. Um, the number overall, when you look at how many people are engaged in competitive sports and how many elite athletes are training and practicing and competing every single day is still incredibly rare. But when that's your child, right. all it takes is one. It, you, look, everyone here is ICU, intensive care unit, and all of a sudden it, it seems to be dire, but we know that he is in stable condition. So what does that mean going from the ICU to now stable condition? What does that tell you about his status? 
what we call standard operating procedure. Any patient brought into the emergency room who suffered an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, it would be standard medical protocol to observe that person, if not manage that person in an ICU setting. So we want to make sure all organ systems are functioning properly, most importantly, the brain, the lungs, and the heart. So after a cardiac arrest, it's not uncommon to leave a patient intubated with a ventilator, a breathing tube so that their airway is protected so that, again, we can assess neurologic function, cardiac function, respiratory function, and then kidney and liver function and clotting function as well. So all of that is routine. Well, Dr. Ash, we certainly appreciate your time this afternoon on the status of Ronnie, 18 years old, in uh, condition in hospital. Doctor, thank you. Let me go back to the beginning with Sage Steele right there at the beginning. Again, I, I don't watch television, and I, I can't remember the last time I watched ESPN. Uh, it's been probably a decade, maybe a little under a decade. Um, the, these individuals are disgusting. They're absolutely disgusting. She, she opens up by saying there's no bigger news, no bigger news than this. Ladies and gentlemen, people are dying from these shots whether it's myocarditis or something else, whether it's a heart attack, a stroke, or something else, on a daily basis all across the nation, every single day, even if it isn't shot-related, they're still dying from this. Where's the breaking news on that? Well, we, you know, if they're not related to LeBron James, then uh, no need to bring it up. It's the elephant in the room. Dr. Jennifer Ashton is a criminal. I guarantee that if you look at her bank statements over the last three, two years, she's made more money in the last two to three years than she has any previous year before then. Guaranteed. She's propagandist numero uno. She continue, continues rather to perpetuate all of these lies and never gets right down to the real issue. A real doctor would do that, but she's not. She's a snake oil salesman and a propagandist, and she's being paid by the satanic cult that is perpetuating all of this on a constant basis. Again, you have to know that they're getting the memo. They have to be getting some kind of a memo, or they certainly got one in the past that says if someone drops of a heart attack or someone drops on the field of play or the field of practice, whatever you do, don't bring up the shots. They receive these memos, guaranteed. You, I mean, you want a FOIA request? Can we please get ESPN emails that clearly show that this is exactly what they were emailing each other back and forth? Are you telling me that not a single employee of ESPN emailed one of their coworkers and said, well, looks like the shots took another one. Looks like the old jabs got, got another kid or got another athlete, quote unquote. They're talking about this. They have to be. It can't get more obvious. And then, of course, the male host says, well, there's good news coming out of this. Uh, you know, he's not in ICU. Uh, you know, he's, he's in stable condition, and there's good news coming out of this. There's no good news coming out of any of this. None. Everything they say the exact opposite is the truth. There's no good news coming out of this. He'll never play again. He'll be dead in five years, tops. Well, 50% chance of dying in the next 10 years. I have an audio clip I'll play proving that a little bit later, as we already know that. 
But this continues to be the issue. They're not bringing up the actual crime that is existing here because they were in on it. If you are a, I mean, honest to shit, if you cover up a crime, you're culpable. If you cover up a murder, you are in on it. End of story. That's what this means. Well, I was just driving the getaway car. I didn't actually go in the bank and shoot anybody. Doesn't matter. You're going to get charged with murder, too. These people should hang. They should all hang. And the people who left ESPN, this is the, you know, this right here, too. This is another elephant in the room that I find fascinating. And you would think that these other ESPN employees would do the exact same thing. And I've made mention, mention of this previously, but it has to be brought up again. There were endless ESPN employees who quit when ESPN mandated the jabs. They quit. They left. I'll never forget one female. Uh, again, her story went, went national. I'm leaving my, my ESPN, whatever it was. She was a white, white basketball anchor you know, on the court doing the, the hard-hitting interviews. And, and there she is, again, saying, I want to have children. These shots won't allow me to have children. I've read this. I'm walking away. She made a life-saving decision for herself, her husband, her children. Do the ESPN employees that still work there not know that? Do they not know that their own employees left, quit the job? to save their own lives and the lives of their unborn children. And then they have the flippin' stones to bring this up as if it's, well, thank God everything is fine and this is incredibly rare, but it does happen 150-some-odd times a year and blah, blah, blah. They're running cover for the greatest genocide that has ever happened in the history of the planet to our knowledge blows me away. Now, do you remember this guy, this Brian Sutterer or Brian Sutter MD? This was the YouTube doctor who came out immediately, and it was almost like the same night that DeMar Hamlin died right in front of everybody's face, and he was the one who came out and immediately labeled it Commodio Cordis. It was this same guy. Well, wouldn't you know, He's got another 13-minute video here of him talking about what cardiac arrest is and what happened. Well, here's what cardiac arrest is, and yes, it's rare, but it happens 150-some-odd times a year and blah, blah, blah. They're all on the same page. All these propaganda snake oil salesmen are on the same page. I'm telling you, there has to be accountability here because if the shots don't kill these Snake oil salesmen doctors who are the propagandists who have been perpetuating this lie since the start. If the shots don't do it, they're going to put a gun in their mouth for what they've actually participated in here. No one will trust them ever again. No one should trust them ever again. If they have a practice, their practice should cease to exist. That goes for all doctors. You've also heard me, of course, bring up Pat McAfee. Wonder if Pat McAfee said anything about this. Now I looked and I didn't want to watch his whole 50 minute show to find a clip of him talking about it, but there's no individualized clip of him talking about it. It's almost like he doesn't want to bring it up anymore because he's going to have to keep bringing it up. This elephant isn't leaving the room, it's just shitting all over the floor. 
and everybody can just keep walking around it and walking through it and acting like it's not here. It's been here since the flipping start. We've been on this since the beginning. But let's get Sanjay Gupta's take on on all of this. What do you think? I bet Sanjay Gupta's going to tell the truth, don't you? Highly unlikely. So here's old Dr. Gupta in three, two, one. But cardiac arrest in an 18-year-old, I mean, how common is this? And what are some of the first questions you have as a physician? Well, well, thankfully, it's it's not common, but I think it's maybe more common than people realize as well. If you look sort of across the, the country uh, in any given year, maybe around 6,000 people may, may have a cardiac arrest that are young people. Um, a lot of times it's uh, sports related in some way, 39% sports related. As people get older, 19 to 25, sports still a factor, but less so of a factor. So it, it does happen. And as Natasha mentioned, it happened at USC last year. It's happened in lots of other athletes over the years. The, some, of the, some of the questions you want to sort of figure out was, was he having any symptoms prior to this? Sounds like he wasn't. Uh, sometimes this sort of thing is the first time somebody knows that there's a problem at all. Has he undergone any screening tests uh, in the past um, to look at his heart? Um, that's certainly what doctors are going to be doing now, looking to try and figure out what exactly caused this, Biana. A couple of things. Um, is there some sort of electrical abnormality to the heart, the way that the heart actually conducts electricity through the heart? Is there any evidence of heart inflammation? Um, is there a problem with the structure of the heart? There's something known as a cardiomyopathy. You know, which basically means that some of the muscles of certain chambers of the heart may be abnormal in some way, and that could lead to something like this. They don't always figure out what exactly caused this, but more times than not, they will, and that's likely the questions they're trying to answer right now. If they were trying to answer questions, they would ask the obvious, but they aren't. They aren't. They either don't want to see it, they see it and don't want to acknowledge it, but ladies and gentlemen, again, the criminal nature of all of this, the conspiracy to commit fraud, which has directly led to the conspiracy to commit murder and maim endless people, is, is beyond obvious here. It's beyond obvious. It's painfully obvious. And Gupta looks like he's just seen a ghost. Every single time that these TV doctors, okay, are going to be called on is going to be every single time that someone in the quote-unquote limelight suffers ill effects like this as a result of the shots. How often can they keep doing it? I mean, they've been doing it for a long time now, but how often can they keep doing it in the future and eventually not say what we already know? If they have medical licenses, they should all be stripped. But that also means that the entire medical license industry and those boards, those medical boards that hold those licenses over everybody's heads, those people need to be eliminated too. That's how high this corruption goes. And as we know, it goes even above their heads. Because even those people who sit on those boards have medical licenses. So, I mean, the, the actual conspiracy is massive. It's enormous. But this, again, is where these YouTube doctors come out and all these YouTube shows with all these people calling us conspiracy theorists. It's not a theory. It's at face value. And yes, it is a conspiracy. 
because conspiracy is against the law. More than one person working together to lie about a crime. At least one crime. That's happening. It's all of these people are in on it. I want to stay alive long enough to see what happens to them, if anything. They have to, they have to cease to exist. You can't keep having these individuals involved in this. But, I don't know. It's exhausting. It's beyond exhausting. So, I wanted to play those audios for you because that's, that's the conversation. Now, yes, I know that, uh, you know, Peter McCullough was on Stu Peters' show and, and they brought this subject up regarding LeBron James's kid, but, you know, did he take the shots? He, he, he said, yeah, he probably did. USC mandated it. They took him. LeBron James came out earlier and said that he advocates for everybody to take him for the safety of everybody and that he's taken him along with his family and blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, this is a trend. This is called a pattern. And it's just going to keep happening on TV, and everybody's going to keep seeing it. Blows me away. Let me mention this. Got more jab stuff here. It's uh, equally as disturbing and yet predictable because I, you know, brought up a lot of this, and and you all are a smart group, and you know this too. Here's old Simone Gold, ladies and gentlemen. She's the the cockroach that continues to survive in the nuclear explosion. She's the weed that just keeps coming back. No matter how much Roundup you spray down that hole or gasoline you pour down it, she just keeps coming back. She's decided to have what she's calling her White Coat Summit, The Reckoning. Dr. Simone Gold, America's Frontline Doctors, presents on July 27th, which is as I'm recording this, 2023, her White Coat Summit. Crimes against humanity have been committed, this pamphlet says. Millions of innocent people harmed and killed by lockdowns, hospital protocols, and experimental injections. Now allegations and evidence will be presented. Due process will be upheld, and so will the law. Retribution will be demanded, and justice must be served. It is time for the reckoning. Scan here to watch the live stream. Her in Washington, D.C. Again, in this picture, you have Dr. Uh, Mark McDonald and Stella Emanuel, along with this other guy. I can't imagine anybody would associate with Dr. Simone Gold, but allegedly this is uh, this is where Robert Malone is also going to be standing with her and demanding the same. Most people who know about Simone Gold know that she is a grifter. She belongs in jail for misappropriating millions of dollars, and she's a fraud. Um. She just she's not going to give up the goose here, and she isn't going to give up the grift. She has to keep the grift going. So I might tune into this just to catch a little bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not banking on it. I really don't feel like throwing up today. So that uh, you know, there's always that. But she is a criminal who walks among us, and it's it's no good. It just continues. So there is that, and then there's this. AJ Gochik sent me this. Uh, I think you all know a guy who said that this was going to happen, and sure enough, here it is. This is from AARP. It is titled, Three Shots This Fall? What to Know About Getting the RSV, Flu, and COVID Vaccines? Experts are hopeful that the combination will lessen the likelihood of a repeat triple-demic. By a Rachel 
Nania, N-A-N-I-A, this Rachel person is an abomination. Who with a brain in their skull writes an article like this? I can't believe I'm going to read this, but I'm going to read this because this is the worst. And I'm telling you, they're, they're already writing about it, which means it's going to happen. Here it is. It says, quote, This fall, many older adults will be encouraged to not get one, not two, but three vaccines to prevent against three common respiratory viruses that sicken millions of Americans each year and become increasingly dangerous with age. I'm going to stop it already. I have a feeling one of my Deadpools is going to pay out this year. I can feel it in my bones. One of these school board members, one of these city council members is going to fall for this, and uh, my Deadpool is going to pay out. I, again, it could be the Westerville City Schools gal, a, a Mrs. Jennifer Altman. She's sicker than a dog and doesn't know why. It could be uh, Jason Bracken, who sits on the local city council. He's first in my Deadpool. The mayor is number two, but who knows? If these, uh, if these nitwits line up for these, well, they're finished. It continues, it says, most are familiar with the annual flu shot. Roughly, half of adults rolled up their sleeves for one last year. It says, the same can be said for the COVID-19 booster, which is once again getting an update in time for fall. I have to review this one more time, and I'm going to keep repeating this because I have to. I know that there are new listeners to the show. There's no way they're going to go back and listen to every episode, which means they're, I, I got to catch them up to some extent. So for those of you that, again, already know this, uh, you know, you can fast forward if you'd like. But um, for those of you that are new to the show, first of all, welcome. Second of all, the flu doesn't exist. COVID doesn't exist. There is only poison in shots. That's always been the case. Decade after decade, century after century, that's it. There's no such thing as influenza. There is poison that you inject into your body, and then you get ill. And you say to yourself, what? I feel ill. Well, that must mean my immune system is getting stronger. No, it means you've poisoned yourself, and you're hurting yourself, and you need to stop and never do that again. There's no such thing as the flu. Doesn't exist. If a person says, well, we have the flu here. I have the flu. The family has the flu. No, they don't. They've poisoned themselves. Somebody says they have COVID. No, they don't. They've poisoned themselves. And you can get this not by coughing and sneezing on people. It's through electromagnetism. It's by being around people who have poisoned themselves in an enclosed space. If you're around them, you're making yourself sick. Okay. Sorry you had to sit through that one more time, but that's, that's the facts. doesn't get any more factual than that. And how simple it is, is what, should, uh, is what should bother everybody. Because the truth is remarkably simple to understand. It's the lies that are difficult to remember. And it's the lies that are hard to memorize. Like the variant lie and long COVID and all that other bullshit. Okay, it continues. New to this menu this year, and they call it a flippin' menu. They're calling it a menu. These people have no shame and no taste whatsoever. New to the menu this year, however, is a vaccine for RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. There's no such thing as viruses either, ladies and gentlemen. 
which is often associated with young kids but sends as many as 160,000 adults 65 years and older to the hospital each year and kills as many as 10,000. No. Respiratory syncytial virus is from injecting yourself with poison. And then your central nervous system hijacks your respiratory system. And then you start coughing. And you can't stop coughing. And then you have trouble breathing. Because you've poisoned yourself. It continues, quote, here we go. This is coming from a medical doctor. So, you know, time to believe it. It says, quote, we have learned over the last 20 years that year in and year out, RSV probably causes as much illness as influenza. Weird. Weird. See how they combine the two? What's the one, what's the one element that causes both? The shots. This is from a William Schaffner, M.D., who is with the National Foundation for Infectious Disease and is a professor of preventative medicine and infectious disease at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Because if you don't say what he just said, that fairy tale lie, you can't work at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. It says RSV hit the U.S. especially hard last fall, right around the same time COVID-19 and flu cases gained steam. What else was gaining steam around then? Taking flu shots and COVID shots. Early estimates show the flu killed as many as 58,000 Americans in, 20, in the 2022-23 season. Meanwhile, COVID-19 sent tens of thousands of people to the hospital each week during the fall of 2022. This led some to dub the viral convergence a triple-demic. That's italicized. So get ready for the triple-demic commercials, because it's coming. Hell, it's right here. They're already writing about it. It's not even August. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's not even August. Quote from another medical doctor, or a snake, ale, a snake oil salesman who should be hung by the neck until dead. It says, quote, we definitely really, really concerning to watch. It was, rather. It was definitely really, really concerning to watch. It says Rachel Presti, MD, an associate professor of medicine at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. This year, though, there's a new tool to help fight back. A vaccine for RSV, the first ever, it says. If you're putting anything in your body, you're going to die. I can't make it any more blunt than that. If you do this to yourself, you're dead. It continues, unfortunately. It says two versions were approved by the Food and Drug Administration in May and are expected to be available by the fall. Both are for adults 60 and older. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. It'll work its way right down the food chain through the ages, right down into infancy. Mark my words, same program, same policy, same procedure as the bioweapon shots. Same thing. When should you get an RSV vaccine, it says. Health officials are encouraging older adults to talk to their doctor to see whether the RSV vaccine is right for them. If that answer is yes, Presti says, there's no need to delay. The RSV season 
generally starts in the fall and peaks in the winter, but last year's struck a bit early. Quote, so my recommendation would be to get the RSV vaccine as soon as it's locally available, Presti says. Excuse me. Starting to throw up in my mouth. Pfizer, the manufacturer of one of the RSV vaccines, expects its shot to be available in late summer or early fall. GlaxoSmithKline, the manufacturer of the other, is working on a similar timeline. It says in parentheses here, and there's little difference between the two approved shots, Presti adds. So again, it comes down to what's on hand. Jesus. These people are responsible for the murders of endless humans. It continues, quote, One thing you will want to consider is spacing the RSV vaccine out from your flu and COVID vaccines. Well, isn't that weird? That's not what they did a year ago, where you were told you could walk your ass right into a Walmart and get five shots at the same time. Flu, COVID shingles, a booster, and something else, a tetanus shot, you know, just for fun. The good old uh, sterilization tetanus shot is the cherry on top. It says, and in studies here, the influenza antibody response was better than the flu and RSV vaccines were given separately. If they were given separately, Schaffner explains, though more information on RSV vaccine co-administration is expected soon. That said, the COVID-19 boosters and flu shots can be given together. Excuse me? I thought they just said space them apart. And then they come back in the very next sentence and say, with all that said, the COVID-19 boosters and flu shots can be given together. Honest to God. <laughs> and they admit it. They said, and last year, often were. So there's no need to make separate trips for the clinic or pharmacy for those. You can save on gas money and time, because we will snatch all the time away from you. You can possibly imagine the big clock in the sky, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, how often will you need the three vaccines? My God, here we go. Just a few more paragraphs. This is the last subsection. How often will you need the three vaccines? The influenza vaccine is one you need every year. Ideally, by the end of October, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says, and remember, adults 65 and older should get the high-dose version for stronger protection. Oh, my God. The high-dose version. What nitwit is walking into a shot distribution place and saying, excuse me, as they ring the bell, I'm here to get the high-dose version. Can you please give me the high-dose version? These people walk among us. They exist. They're real. Oh, no. It says the CDC estimates that 70 to 85% of flu-related deaths occur among adults 65 and older. It's because they're the ones getting these shots on a year-in, year-out basis. It says the COVID-19 vaccine schedule is still in flux, though many experts are in favor of moving to an annual shot in the fall as the virus settles into a more seasonal pattern. 
For now, older adults should pay attention to recommendations from health officials and stay up to date on their boosters. Jesus. The CDC recently gave the okay for adults 65 and older to go back for a second dose of the bivalent booster. Say goodbye to them. As for RSV, Schaffner says the duration for protection from the vaccine has yet to be determined. It's an open admission that it doesn't work. Early data, he says, quote, indicate that the, protect- that the protection may extend beyond one year. Emphasis on the word may right there. They, they don't protect against anything because they never have. They never do. They never will. The word is never. He said, meaning an annual shot might not be necessary. Well, I thought, I thought the CDC just said that they were necessary. He then ended up saying this, quote, that said, stay tuned for further developments. It finally wraps up. It says, if getting three shots this fall seems like a lot, consider the alternative, Presti says. This is the medical doctor. A vaccine is, quote, a whole lot less of a stress on your immune system, unquote, than getting infected and seriously ill from all or one or all of these common viruses. They said, quote, I understand that people are tired of it, but it's sort of something we should think about getting used to as just a way of preventing disease and keeping ourselves healthy, unquote. And that is the end of the article. The writer of the article says that they write about health care and health policy for AARP. Previously, she was a reporter and editor for WTOP Radio in Washington, D.C., a recipient of the Gracie Award and a regional Edward R. Murrow Award. She also participated in a dementia fellowship with the National Press Foundation. Well, she clearly has dementia because this article is nuts. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't say it often with this show, okay? I leave the choice up to you, clearly, and it's still your choice. But can you please share this episode with endless people? I mean, send it to your coworkers, just to just to piss them off. Send it to your family members who are jabbed. Say, hey, have you ever listened to this guy's show? It's a really good podcast. You might want to listen to it. Just send it to them. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, this article that I just read is proof pudding of what I said earlier that. They have a plan. It involves constant shots, heavier propaganda, and wrapping the flu into it. Only in this, they openly tell you that RSV has never existed in shot form, and now they're going to give it to you. And these people who take all of these are going to die. It's that simple. Anybody who takes any of them is going to die. You can say that's extreme. You can say, Sean, that's not true. You're not a medical doctor. What the hell do you know? I'm unjabbed. And I'm doing just fine. The only symptom I get is a sore throat from saying what I say on this show. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's the only ailment I typically have. You know, the occasional uh, exhaustion and whatever else. But, but that's it. That's it. I don't have AIDS. 
And these people who are taking these shots are going to get AIDS. And if they don't get AIDS, then they'll get dead before they get AIDS. Absolutely nuts. That right there is proof, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll link that article in the description below. It's that bad. It's that bad. Um, I'll tell you what. Very quickly, this happened the other day, the other day too. Chase Bank shut down Dr. Joseph Mercola's bank account, apparently out of Cape Coral, Florida. And why would they do that? Well, they don't like what he's saying. They don't like the information that he's bringing to bear. They don't like the people he's helping, and they don't like the people who are donating money to him. That's why they shut it down. So that happened, and that's continuing to happen. I'm going to end with this. Uh, you've heard me say that the Great Awakening is real. It is a biblical phenomenon of biblical proportions, and it is not a new thing. The Great Awakening has existed since before the Revolutionary War, and it involves people waking up to tyranny and being drawn closer to reality, which is God. You've heard me say that this is in numerous writings in revolutionary work by revolutionary authors from back in the day, including the framers of our country. And I stumbled across this article, which was published on August 10th of 2016. Now, it's an important date because the term the Great Awakening existed before then, as we know, way back, of course, before the Revolutionary War, but it was not in the mainstream the way that it is now. And this is actually a year plus before the Q drops started to hit. But this is from allthingsliberty.com, and it comes from a section that they have here titled The Journal of the American Revolution, is apparently what this website calls themselves. But there's a couple of sections of this that I want to read because this defines the history of the Great Awakening. And there's a subchapter or a subsection here of this article that is titled The Unsurprising Work of God. Let me just read a few excerpts from this entire article. It says, quote, The Great Awakening was America's first major religious revival and was the most important religious event within the colonial period. While reporting on the revivals being experienced within New England, an astonished Edwards described the events as a, quote, surprising work of God. But the first great awakening did not drop from heaven. Rather, it sprang forth from a turbulent and formative time within the American colonial's history. British colonial power had begun to shift following the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588. And in 1727, another war with the Spanish had broken out in Panama. It says intercolonial conflict had continued to brew, which would culminate with the coming French and Indian War, 1754 to 1763. Less than 100 years prior to the English Civil War had broken out and climaxed with the execution of King Charles I in 1649. Additionally, with the glorious revolution of 1688 and 16 through 1689, and the succession of William and Mary in favor of James II, 
the fear of royal persecution was resurrected among the Puritan colonies in America. It then says, while the Act, I'm sorry, while the 1689 Act of Toleration granted Protestant dissenters the right of private religious conscience, its actual effectiveness remained ambiguous. Yet in Massachusetts, a new charter in 1692 declared that, quote, there shall be a liberty of conscience allowed in the worship of God to all Christians, except Baptists. It says, with this inclusive shift to, ex- to extend further rights to Anglans, Quakers, and Baptists within the New England colonies, quote, the age of exclusionary Puritanism had come to an end. A few more paragraphs here. It says, traditionally, the revivals that make up the Great Awakening have been understood as a series of religious events that took place in the 1730s and 1740s. The revivals were the result of the colonial importation of Pietism, a German movement of the late 17th and early 18th centuries that emphasized intense personal and experiential, experiential contact with God. It says, Pietism, if I'm saying that correctly, my apologies if I'm not, influenced British and Dutch religious cultures and crossed the Atlantic between 1680s and the 1730s due to German, Scottish, and Scots-Irish immigration. That would be my homeboys. Championed by Jonathan Edwards in Northampton and typified by the preaching tours of George Whitfeld, Theodore Jacob Fringlinghausen, James Davenport, uh, Samuel Davies, and Gilbert Tennant. Gilbert Tennant, my apologies. Uh, The revivals emphasized a focus on spiritual rebirth. Those who had been reborn or awakened, quote-unquote, were called new lights, stressed the individual and emotional experiences of conversation brought about by the workings of the Holy Spirit, and rejected any sorts of understanding that included good works as integral to salvation. Quote, the old lights, most notably Charles Chauncey, saw the revivals as a dangerous display of religious enthusiasm by which they meant excess and delusion. So he was crazy. It says some scholars have characterized the period of the First Great Awakening as a sort of waiting period before the Revolution. Richard Bushman's studies have revealed that revivals affected the economic ambitions and the time period. Given that the revivals centered on the transformation of the individual, the self-consciousness and self-focus profoundly affected the social and communal aspects of day-to-day life within colonial America. Rather than operating through covenants and contracts, God acted through the heart and commitment of each individual, and therefore the individual need not look beyond himself for any source of authority. This meant that God did not work exclusively through kings or bishops and clergy or the magistrates, but through the people themselves. This did not only have religious implications, but also economic ones. As Bushman puts it, quote, In the expanding economy of the 18th century, merchants and farmers felt free to pursue wealth with an avidity dangerously close to avarice, and energies released exerted 
irresistibly pressure against traditional bounds. When the Great Awakening added its measure of opposition, the old institutions began to crumble. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, I could keep going. It's an excellent article. It's beyond exquisite. This has happened before. What we are experiencing now has happened before. Anybody trying to hold on to what they deem to be familiar now or previously, they have got to let go of it. There's no escaping this. This is a complete shift in consciousness of the people of, of God's world here. And he's the one pulling the strings. He's bypassed any institution of authority whatsoever and gone straight to us. Now, we've always had free will, but he's talking directly to us about what we need to be doing here. There's another subsection, Enthusiasm for Liberty. An All-American Apocalypse is another one. Talks about the first American Revolution. In fact, I'll end it with this. It says the following in this final paragraph. I, again, I will link this in, in the uh, description below, but you've got to read this entire thing. It's exquisite. It says, in conclusion, quote, While I would agree that it would be an overstatement to claim that without the awakening, there would, there would have been no revolution. The awakening is a historical reality that more historians need to grapple with in understanding the revolution's origin. After the first great awakening, the so-called preordained order of society was completely turned upside down. It was during the revivals that the, that the colonists began to view themselves as capable of interpreting the will of God for themselves. While John Winthrop may have promised that the Massachusetts Bay Colony would be like, quote, a city upon a hill, unquote. It was the first great awakening that truly provided the ground for the American colonists to begin to see themselves as a chosen people. They believed that God was working within the American colonies in a special way. Not only this, but the awakening provided the means by which colonists could communicate this revolutionary ideology. The First Great Awakening was not the American Revolution, but it was an American Revolution. Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living through another Great Awakening here. And what comes after the Great Awakening? A revolution. So here we go. Let's buckle up. Let's act like it. Because it's happening whether we want it or not. It's here. No doubt about it. And the fun stuff hasn't even started yet. I'm going to link that in, in the description below, along with the AARP article. Please share this with as many people as you can. It's the best gift that you can give me. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.